0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Active Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Sean Pastooch. I'm your host. And today's guest is Dr. Andy Galpin. Andy is a phenomenal storyteller. You're going to love today's podcast. And the idea of today's podcast was to learn from Andy how people can become world-class at just about anything that they do because he is world-class at what he does. Andy's job is to run a class in the lab at Cal State Fullerton and to work with all types of high performers on improving their nutrition, their exercise, their recovery, you name it. He's there to make sure that they're optimizing their life. We could have talked for an hour about all different kinds of nutrition stuff. We could have asked. You know, what's the best fruit to eat if I want to get ready for a workout? What's the best recovery meal that I should have? How much creatine should I be taking? Why? But Andy is such a good communicator and his information is so abundantly available on his website, andygalpin.com, that it was unnecessary for us to have that conversation. It would just be redundant to information that already exists in a very accessible format for you to find. So I thought it would be much more interesting if Andy and I spoke about how he came to be the person who people seek information from. He's eloquent in the way that he speaks. His stories are interesting and they're fun to listen to. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this podcast because it's a lesson in, he would disagree with me, but I'll tell you, it's a lesson in mastery through somebody who is in the process of mastering his craft. Uh, I think his humble nature and his, you know, just disregard for the level of mastery that he's accomplished is the reason why he's continuing to be better and better and better. He has been on dozens of podcasts, including the Joe Rogan experience. Andy is a sought after guy who was very gracious with an hour of his time today. I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. And remember, if you like it, share it. Send it to a friend who needs to hear it. And he tells some stories about early in his life when he was doing things that really had no return for him that ended up having massive return with him having no idea that that's what was going to come of it. So there's really good lessons in here, both in perseverance and in just saying yes to things. I know you guys will enjoy this podcast. Let's hear it. Here we go. Andy Galpin, Doctor Andy Galpin. Even though he's very comfortable with Andy. All right, so Doctor Andy Galpin, welcome to the Active Life Podcast. Man, it's a pleasure to be here. I thank you for giving me the opportunity. My pleasure. I really appreciate you joining us. It's, it's. I find what you do especially interesting because of what a high quality communicator I think you are. Things like your five-minute physiology videos that are complete analogies that make things simple for people. I think it's just, it's brilliant. So I you know, I have a lot of respect for that, and I'm interested to see how we can bring that kind of stuff out on this podcast.
1: Well, I appreciate the kind words.
0: Yeah. So the first thing I want to ask you about is the mission statement for what you guys are doing at Cal State Fullerton, and that's where you're rooted most of the time, right? Your Your work is coming out of Cal State Fullerton.
1: Yeah. So I'm a full-time professor at Cal State Fullerton. I'm the director for what's called the Center for Sport Performance. Uh, Within that center, we've got uh, seven laboratories, biomechanics, exercise physiology. My lab specifically is a um, biochemistry and molecular exercise physiology lab. Uh, But we've got human performance, uh, sports psychology, motor control, motor learning. So all of that underneath my umbrella in the center. Um, So yeah, um, my job is to perform research and disseminate that to people um, that enhances performance. Specifically, sport performance. So, I teach, do research, and um, of course, work with athletes and, and try to improve the human condition. So, that's really what I do is my, you know, "quote unquote" full time job.
0: Yeah, uh, that's, that's a pretty cool full time job. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, man. <laughs> pretty happy guy most of the time. So, later on, I want to we'll, we'll we'll talk about how you got into it. But I want to talk about the mission statement that you guys have put out for your your your, your department for your your model of what you guys are doing. And I'm just going to go ahead and I'll actually pull it straight off of your website so that I don't actually, I don't have it up there, but I'm going to read to you what I wrote. It's your mission statement. And I want you to just kind of let people know how you guys landed on that. Because I think a lot of people don't even have a mission statement and they're just kind of flying by the seat of their pants. So you guys want to provide free and accessible, high quality, accurate, entertaining information that will inspire the human condition by enhancing human performance, nutrition, and well-being. How'd I do? Pretty much. Sounds about right. I (laughs) actually don't even know, but it sounds great to me. Okay. Well, so, you know, I always think of a mission statement as something that you can go back to and you can ask yourself, are we doing what we said we wanted to do? So how did you guys land on something like what I just read to you?
1: So I'll actually say a couple of things. I got to back you up a little bit because that's not the (laughs) mission statement of our department or center. Oh, Um, mistake those are, that's just my website. That's like my Facebook page, if you will. I mean, it's, it's a website, but that has nothing to do with the university. Um, Those are separate entities entirely. Okay. I mean, effectively what happened was we have our department and has a university and a college and all that, and they have their mission. I'm a little player in a very, very large department. Uh, We've got 35 tenure track faculty and 2000 undergrads and things like that. So that's my job there. What I realized, though, was going through my work and and what I was doing for that, realizing that there's still things I wanted to do. So, for example, I was teaching things in classes, and I thought, like, why? This sucks that that only 35 people get to hear this a year. And at Cal State Fullerton, we have a huge problem with uh, getting people into classes, and people have to wait two years, and there's prereqs, and my classes are always full with huge waiting lists, and people don't get it, so i got to wait a year and a half to take that class again. And I just started thinking, like, this is just really ridiculous that we're in 2018 and we have this, this is what's holding us back. Cause there's, you know, 26 seats and the fire marshal says you can't have 27 people in here. <laughs> this is fucking stupid. And so I thought like, I'm just going to start a website. Uh, and I'm just going to put all my shit up there. And that way people from around the world can have that mission uh, and, and achieve that thing. They're not going to get the interaction with me. They're not going to get all the other benefits and my actual students get, but like at least that part of it will be, will be accomplished. And so The other thing is, man, I don't know anything about running a business. I I couldn't tell you what a mission statement really is or what it means. Uh, I don't have, uh, like, don't ask me any questions about tripwires. And I don't have, like you'll notice on the website, there's no newsletter to sign up for. There never will be. Uh, There's nothing you could buy or purchase on that website. I don't know anything like that. So to answer your question about how that, that statement came about, I just sat there and I thought, what is it I really care about? and just put that into words. Uh, And I don't know if that's a normal mission statement, if that's exactly what you're supposed to look. I don't even have any clue. Uh, So (laughs) I was just like, man, what am I really trying to do? What do I really want to get accomplished? And I just spent a lot of time on that question and wrote down versions of that and tried to make it as economical and direct and concise and accurate and true to what I was really trying to do with that website. So that's honestly how all that came about. Um, So I, I don't, I don't even know how to run a business or anything. I don't have any businesses at
0: all. I don't have a clue. Well, (laughs) so it's, it's, it's a refreshing way to hear about it, you know, because what, you know, another thing you have on the website is that you want to demonetize and decommercialize the whole opportunity to receive information. So you're putting all of this stuff out there for free. Which Mm -hmm. costs you time, which costs you energy, which costs you a shit ton. Yeah. So (laughs) why is it important to you that people have access to it? Well, it's a couple of things, man. I
1: grew up in the country uh, and I wouldn't say that I was particularly fortunate. Um, You know, I was on food stamps my whole life, uh, even up through college. But I was also saying like, I wasn't that scared. You know, like I wasn't, I had a phenomenal family. My parents are great, my community was great. I was never really worried about my future or things like that and so I consider myself to be extremely fortunate and now that I've gotten older and I've traveled the world a bit and I've just tried to be more empathetic I've listened to people and I hear stories about people in America you know within fifty miles of me or 20 miles of me and what their opportunities were like and I just started thinking like, yeah, you know what I could sell these videos for 299 or whatever but like God damn, why? Like there's people out there. I had a I was really, really, really blessed. And I'm in the man, I'm a I'm a I'm a fairly reasonably decent looking mid 30 year old white male with really no health problems in America. Like I I feel like I I I got a pretty good draw of the cards, man. Like, <laughs> so the least I can do is is just give people these free videos instead of charging them six dollars for it. Like I feel like I owe that to a lot of people who are as smart, probably smarter than me work harder than I do. And it's just a victim of their circumstances. They happen to get born in the wrong place in the right time. And then as I started extending that thing to outside of America and I started looking at the numbers, especially when I started researching a book, or, you know, the book that we wrote, you look at the numbers of who's got access to the internet and who has access to phones and things. I started realizing, man, you start leaving America and Just billions. I mean, billions of people don't have access to basic information, and people are being preyed upon for the little bit of information they have because they just want to not be in pain. And I just felt like, you know what? Like, if this costs me a couple of extra Saturdays and Sundays, whatever, man. Like, if it changes a few people's lives, totally worth it. And and so, I would love to say it's entirely altruistic, but it also it's like just feels good. Also, when you get those emails from people, and they're just like, you know, they're broken English, and they're from Serbia, and they're like. And I get those like almost basically daily, uh, if not more than daily. And so I'm like, all right, that's enough for me to, to, to just keep going because it's a few hours out of my time. But if I can leave those things up there that have a, a bigger impact uh, on more than just the 30 people or 28 people that are able to get into my class
0: and blah, 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 then that's why I do it. I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into that. If it's cool with you, because when, mm-hmm. when I talk to people like yourself, I like to make it as if there's somebody who's standing next to me who needs to hear what, what you're thinking. And I think that you made a really good point about that. It's mostly altruistic, but that at the end of the day, you have to feel good about it. You know? Yeah. You know, like I'm, I'm back and forth
1: in this one. I've actually talked to a lot of people about this. I'm not sure. I believe that there is such a thing as an altruistic. Correct. Right. That's where I was um, going. Um, and I'm pretty much in that camp. I could be talked out of it, but I haven't really heard any compelling arguments against that yet. So at the end of the day, it's all about us. Oh, sorry, mm-hmm. it's all about me. Mm-hmm. Like That's really what it is. So when you do think for something for somebody else, it's you do it because you know it's going to make you feel better because you did something selfless, which then of course
0: is not actually but, selfless. But there's a big difference between what you did and I think what a lot of other people do. And what I mean by that is you recognize that if this didn't make you happy, you wouldn't do it. Even though it's great for other people, you'd find another way to be great for other people that doesn't make you happy. But I think that what a lot of people might do that, that they're, they're not realizing their potential is they do with an expectation of return. Oh, yeah. You know? Man,
1: I, I could tell you like a very, very, uh, where I learned this lesson perfectly well. Actually, my good friend, Doug Larson, if you've heard of Barbell Shrugged and their mm-hmm. company, he's a, you know, the founder of that and the creator of that. Uh, I've been friends with him for 20 years. We, we went to undergrad together and he had a mentor at his who was an awesome guy. He was an engineer for Hewlett Packard, but he was just like a strength conditioning junkie. And he, for for years, spent tens of thousands of dollars on building his garage into a weightlifting gym and coached anybody in the neighborhood for free, anybody in the area free. Not only that, man, he was cooking food for everybody. He would take them to places. He would drive to their games. It's like people he doesn't know. He has nothing, like basically to show up at his door. I got friends with Doug. I became friends with This guy, this guy started taking us to conferences, like driving us across the country, taking us to places, giving us stuff, paying for our hotels, like all these things just to help us get to a conference. And I remember very specifically one time being with Doug and I don't remember the detail, but we were in Europe somewhere and somebody had screwed us over somehow. And I don't remember how at all, what what the detail was, but I was still at a point where I was like, fuck them. They wouldn't do this for us. So let's not do it for them. And I said something almost exactly like that. And Doug came back and said, yeah, I'd rather do things for people that I know they wouldn't do back for me. And I was like, Oh shit. Like he's like, you know, Mark used to always say that like, yeah, like I want to be doing things. And I was like, I never really, I don't know what, whatever reason I was just mature enough. And I guess where that hit me, I was like, that's a pretty good idea actually. Like, you know, whatever, there's a thousand ways you could say it, but all right, that's a pretty good mantra to live by. So, that, that, that is, I think, something that has stuck with me for a long time um, since then. And I still fundamentally believe that, like, it doesn't have to be equal. Who cares? Like, this is one thing I actually tease my wife about all the time uh, because we have our, you know, our, our daughter um, is coming up. And I'm like, look, I want her to learn and understand, like, you shouldn't care about fair. Like, not only is it not going to be fair, yeah, yeah, but, like, you shouldn't care about that. That shouldn't even be a metric that's important to you. It will never, ever be fair Where we can find another metric that's not. So, like, let's relieve ourselves of the desire to be fair in the first place.
0: And How, that just takes so much stress out of your life. It does because now it's now that you're doing it without an expectation. So when something does come back, that's great for you. That's great. And when it doesn't, yeah. you weren't looking for it. Exactly. How old is your daughter?
1: Well, she is uh, negative three months right now. So she's oh, coming in July. First one. Yeah. Congratulations.
0: I have a three year, I, so. I have a three year old and an almost year old oh, and, and they're both girls. Man, Doug has three kids under three years old. That's wild. (laughs) His house is a train wreck. (laughs) I believe it. I believe it. But so another thing that you said a minute ago, or probably three or four minutes ago now, was that you were never really worried. You know, you you, you didn't have a lot growing up, but you never were really concerned. And I'd like to know why you know, w- w- were you just confident in yourself or did you not want for things? So you weren't worried about getting them?
1: No, nah, not the first one, man, or not the second one. I definitely wanted for things. Uh, I would say that it wasn't, um, self-confidence cause you know, I was five, six, seven, whatever, you know, 10, 12, 15. Certainly when I time, I got to be in high school, things were a little more stable, um, a lot more stable. So I, like, I wasn't worried there, but I think I was more that I had confident in my parents because I saw what they did. Like, in the community I grew up in with my father, my grandpa. And also like I would say this, the community, everybody I went to high school with, uh, all the coaches in high school, the community people like this, was just a resounding, uh, attitude in that or in culture, in that town that like, just, okay, fine. Fuck it. Like work harder. Okay, fine. Just go work harder. Like find an extra shift, go do something else. Like what's the big deal. Yeah. Like it sucks. You've got a bad hand. Fucking work harder. And like, so I just, I was never worried because I knew probably mostly subconsciously, like if, you know, things get worse, fine. Like my dad will just work harder. Like my mom will, I've already seen what she's doing. She's, you know, the the strides that my mom did was just unbelievable what she went through to, to get a job that was minimum wage, but just keep a stable one. So like, I I don't know, I was probably just confident, like no matter what, we can outwork this and, and we will. And so I'm now just confident in that because I saw what they were already were doing and didn't have, and just the language they used and the, the things they talked about. Um, you know, it wasn't your fault was never going to ever come up. Like, it's not my fault. I should get this like zero sense of entitlement. Sounds like you didn't have it. Well, who gives a shit if it was your fault or not, you still are hungry. So you better figure it the fuck out. Like,
0: <laughs> that's, that, that's just the, the culture I grew up in, man. So I didn't have any opportunity to think anything different. So, so something that I find extremely interesting about everything you just said is that it sounds to me like your parents were, whether intentional or not, and you can tell me, but I imagine there was some intent there as well, were really your first recognizable coaches where where you recognize that, okay, these people are teaching me through both their example and through their words. Is that is that accurate for you or not?
1: I mean, I guess. I don't know if I would say I had that self-recognition at that age. Well, no, no, of course not. Um, but how about now looking yeah, back? Yeah, like I would say even... Like my parents, of course. But like I said, man, my grandpa was the same way. Um, right. My grandmother was the same way. And I recognize now like in completely different veins. Um, but everybody I grew up with was the same way. Like oh, their parents were the same way. So I, I don't know if I can say my parents. I would say everybody I was around like, right. was, the same, was the same coach. My friends, you know, I remember I was probably, I don't know, 10 years old or something. And wanted to, to, to play with my friend over the summer or something. And he's like, I can't until... Whatever, nine a.m. because I gotta go, you know, feed this other guy's horses and and go do this other stuff. And so, but that place he was going was like five miles away, and we didn't have cell phones back then. We had little BMX bikes, you know, fifty dollars bikes. And so he's probably rode an hour and a half on his bicycle to go to this place, feed the horses, and ride back for ten bucks, you know. And I'm like, he probably rode his bike for three hours, like every day. (laughs) I'm like, dang. And he could get that. He wanted to have that done by eight a.m. And I'm like, shit. Okay. So like things like that. I'm like, all right. Like this is. And he because he loved basketball, man, he like just loved it and he wanted to get the Jordan shoes and stuff like that. So he worked his house off to get Jordan. So just everybody I knew was doing shit that I'm like, I feel like an idiot or a lazy asshole not doing things like that.
0: So you have a daughter coming in three months who I imagine, and I, I, you, know, you and I haven't discussed your own personal socioeconomical position, but I imagine that she's not going to be surrounded by that exact kind of environment.
1: Yeah, actually, we, we, we talk about this constantly. I always joke with Tasha. I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do to make this kid's life hard? <laughs> you know, like I have to. Like, I really feel like I'm going to have to do something. Um, you know, because Tasha too, and grew up, was not totally different circumstances, but same issue, like a real struggle through her childhood. And so I'm like, man, I don't know. Like, because I feel like you've gotta, I can't make this girl's life too easy. So yeah, I don't know, man. She'll, she'll grow up in a different environment for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, let me know if you figure that out. Yeah.
1: I don't know, man. I mean, part of me is, I don't know, like we, we kick around ideas all the time that I'll, I probably won't be in my current position much longer because I can't handle being in the city. But, you know, so part of that may be just coming from if I take her and make her live in Montana for 10 years or whatever, <laughs>
0: <laughs> they'll have to figure it out. Well, so speaking of your current position, I mean, you're, you're mid thirties and the position that you that you have doesn't sound like the position that somebody in their mid 30s typically occupies you know mm-hmm. usually that's a chair that is reserved for somebody in their 50s 60s who's been through all of it and now says you know what i'm now ready to teach people from my personal experiences that's not you how did you end up in that chair
1: man a lot of luck <laughs> uh, that's the answer um, i mean i could walk you through I could give you an hour dissertation of how I got from one step to every step, but I would say it's a combination of, of luck. That, that's anyone. And I've, I've talked to a lot of people that are in extremely high positions and they're always, that's always very high in the list. Um, but I, you know, the, I guess the the one way I could answer it is unlike what it might sound like, you know, I have a PhD, I'm in that 99.999, whatever percentile technically. Um, but I, I'm not very intelligent in terms of, the classic metrics. So, you know, I had like a 3.0 GPA in college or something like that. I got a the absolute minimum score possible to get into college on my SATs. I and mean, part of that was my education, uh, you know, in high school. But like, I, I still don't. If you did a I, Tasha and I have done memory tests and IQ tests, and she blows me out of the water. She's two standard deviations above uh, everybody on all kinds of metrics of intelligence, and and I'm not even remotely close. Um, so I, I don't have those classic things. I remember in college, even with Doug, man, Doug and I would do the same classes and we'd sit there and I would have to literally double, study double the hours. Like I just had to. So the answer to your question is, it's not intelligence that got me here in terms of that type of intelligence, but I knew for sure that I could outpassion and outwork anybody. And so that's how I've gotten here is, is a lot of luck. Um, but I uh, you know the the background I come from, like I said, man, like I'm just, I'm just super used to people working all day, every day, man. My, when, uh, when Mount St. Helens blew, my dad was in road construction. Like he worked seven twelves, you know, for, for weeks on end, which is seven days a week, 12 hours a day. And 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 I worked for my dad. I was fortunate enough to work for him growing up. And when when I say a 12 hour day in construction, like, I don't mean like, well, my alarm clock went off at five thirty and I didn't get home till six. Like, no, I mean, you have to be at the job site 45 minutes before you start or you're getting fired. We were driving an hour to an hour and a half just to get there. If it's six o'clock, the shovel goes in the ground at six o'clock. The shovel does not come out of the ground until 12. You take a half an hour break and then it goes back in the dirt at 1230. And it does not come out of the dirt until six thirty. And then you start your commute home. Then you make dinner and all that stuff. So a 12 or 14 hour day. And that in my mind is not what most of these assholes call a 12 hour day. <laughs> like, so I remember actually as a doctoral student, you have to go through your comprehensive exams. And so what this is, is every committee member has a full day. They'll ask you maybe like two or three written questions and you have a full day. And it takes you eight or 10 hours to answer these questions. So you just dump everything. So it's like a full day on medical biology, a full day on physiology, a full day on uh, biochemistry. And I remember getting ready for it. And, and everyone in the lab is kind of hypes it up. Cause it's kind of like the rite of passage, if you will. It's like the thing you got to get through. And the guy the year before me, was 34, 35 years old, had five kids, had another job, and was doing his PhD with me, right? And I'm burnt out at like 26 years old. I'm dying there. And I'm like, geez, right? And I remember he came back when he finished. I'm like, all right, man, how was it? Because everyone's like, it's the worst, the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life, every single person. And Eric was like, kind of like like looks around and nobody's around. He's like, had a harder week last week. Like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is not hard it's like you have to take a test for 10 hours a day how hard is that and i remember taking it as well and being like when i got done on the friday everyone's like oh how hard is it And i'm just like i look around and the advisors are kind of around because you're celebrating and i'm like yeah you know like it was god it was super hard and i'm just exhausted and i remember they all left and i was like fuck this i'm going out like i'm not tired like i wasn't even the next day i was back working i went it's sparred the next day like it was not hard at all, uh, so I just had a different metric for what hard work is in other people, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so like I think that's really the answer. To your question is, I got super lucky. I was very, 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 very fortunate. I have been fortunate, um, but I've also just worked a lot fucking harder than most people have.
0: I believe it. I definitely believe it. And and you know, talk about a little bit because I want I want to kind of shift gears a little bit, but stay on kind of how you did it because I think it's so interesting. You talked about right there, you said I went and sparred a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I know that you have a passion for MMA. And I mm-hmm. know that you work with professional MMA fighters on their nutrition and on the things that are going to make them high performers. So that sport to me is especially interesting because it's, it's more inherently dangerous than baseball. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. Even though baseball is inherently dangerous, any sport is inherently dangerous. How do you find working with an athlete in that space to be um, – how, w- how would you describe it I guess is what I'm asking. You know, you're talking to a guy who the last thing that he wants to have on his mind is any kind of potential weakness or any kind of potential dent in his armor and you're here trying to make sure that he understands everything that he needs to do better to make sure he's a high performer.
1: Well, I would say – I would say your actual assumption right there is false. Oh, good. Uh, I would say that in my experience working with all professional athletes and it's no different in combat sport athletes, whether it's MMA fighters, boxers, wrestlers, anything. Um, they're as different as any other two people you would find on the street. Uh, so they're not all, some of them are the classical, you'd think, you know, like Bale of armor, super tough guys, girls, some of them are dainty flowers. Um, so some of them are like everywhere in between. So I, I would say that none of that is actually true. It's they're as different from any other two people you would walk into there. So because of that, I approach every single person as different as I would approach any other two people. And I think the best analogy I can give here is, um, Ryan Parsons, Dr. Parsons, who's a longtime MMA strength and conditioning coach and, uh, well, that MMA coach actually, um, He's the guy that started Team Quest with Dan Henderson, Randy Couture, Matt Lindland, uh, all those constant guys. He and Robert Fallis, and Robert Fallis has passed away, but Robert Fallis runs Extreme Couture in, in Vegas. But they came up with this thing, and I'll give them their due credit, which is they categorize fighters into three categories. And they think that you have to have two of these at an elite level to win a world championship. You can have one of them at an elite level and get to the UFC, but you got to have two to win a world championships. And so he calls them either fighters, competitors, or athletes. Right? So a fighter is and actually you can I don't know how much you follow though, MMA but you could probably think of people that land in these categories. There are people that like to just fight. They just they just like the sport of it. They like fighting. It's not a big deal. They would fight tomorrow, fight friend, like they like going to sparring practice. They just like fighting. They're not maybe aggressive or hate people, maybe they do, but they just like fighting.
0: Nick there are Diaz is to mine.
1: Yeah, totally, right? Like Nick Diaz is a fighter, right? Like they just fight. BJ Penn is a classic example, like they just like fighting, right? Uh, if you said, Hey, we're going to fight tomorrow, like, oh, okay, cool, and then we're going to go get burritos, sort of be like, oh, sweet, awesome, like they just like fighting, <laughs> right? There are athletes, um, people that are just supreme elite level athletes and they just like doing athletic activities and sports. A uh, classic example there is George St. Pierre. Um, George is probably the first true elite level athlete to get into the MMA, of course. Brock Lesnar's is the king of kings when it comes to that. But you see this, he's a good example. He was just such a better athlete than anyone ever in the sport. He could come in with zero training, zero preparation and, and win a world title in two or three fights. No one's even remotely come close to doing that and no one ever probably will. He's that much better of an athlete than even St. Pierre was. And the third category of fighter, or sorry, a competitor. And these are people that, you know, classic competitor stuff, you all know what a competitor means. So if you start breaking these people down, You start to realize the way that you communicate with them, then, and the way that I coach them is based on which category they are. And so the way that I would talk to somebody like BJ Penn or Nick Diaz is totally different than the way I would talk to Patrick Cummins or talk to Jared St. Pierre or the way I would talk to Connor anymore. Like the language I I had to use with Connor was not the same language I could use with um, with Dennis Bermudez because he's going to be motivated and demotivated by different things right and so uh, i mean connor is a fighter connor just fucking loves fighting right he just loves it and so the things that get him geared up and that get him buy-in they're not gonna be the same things as somebody who just wants to win at things i don't really care what it is right so if i start taking a, an athlete for example and like if you're with George saint pierre and you're trying to motivate him and talk to him and communicate with him you're talking about like you know, like why don't you rip this fucking guy's face off and smash his face like he's just gonna be like what like no like i'm not like to hurt people like why would i Like you have to start talking about, hey, George, the reason I need you to take this supplement and follow this is because I want you to dominate everyone so bad. I don't want anyone to think another athlete on the planet could ever win one round from you. This is what I need you to do with your food and your supplements because this is what's going on. Your numbers are sliding down in the gym. We put you on the force plate, the VO2 max, blah, 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 whatever it is, is coming down. And so I need you to eat this bubble. And Nick Diaz is going to give a shit about that. Like it's not going to motivate Nick Diaz to put him on a force play. Like he's just going to be like, whatever, man, I'm just going to fuck that guy up. Like, <laughs> so like, that's what you have to do is you have to be them and talk to them in a way that motivates incites, and gets and addresses buy-in and that they understand. So you can't use language also that, um, I mean, like I, I just got a text from Matt Brown, like, like literally one minute ago, a classic MMA fighter. And Matt Brown is very, very educated with nutrition. So I, I do not speak to him like I speak to some, I won't name any names here. <laughs> like I speak to other UFC fighters who are fucking idiots. You know, like the other ones might get like, no, don't eat that. Right. Where I'll probably send Matt a link to a, to a paper, a, re, a study on, on this one and say, Hey, like, let's mess around with this dosage and, and maybe take it up a little bit because Matt's extremely educated in the field, loves it. And he likes it and, he, and he's excited about that. So that's my very long answer to that question is, um, I try to put them and this is actually what I do with in my classroom. This is what I'm doing with you right now. It's what I call like uh, so MMA is a good example. All right. So if you ever watch like a Brazilian or a non-American in the cage, if they want a fight, they always bring a translator in. Right. And so Joe Rogan's up there talking to the fighter and Joe Rogan asks a question. He turns it over to the translator. Translator turns it over to the, the athlete the athlete says something. And what's always funny is the athlete will talk for two minutes and then he Joe gives the microphone back, the translator, and the translator goes, oh, he's very thankful and he's very fortunate to be here. Mm -hmm. Like, what happened is the translator was like, okay, I'm not going to literally just give you word, 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 word. I'm going to take basically the message you're trying to communicate, and I'm going to boil it down to a a way that you understand. And that's, That's effective communication. And so in my head at all times, whether I'm talking to an athlete, a client, a coach, my mom, you, that person that's standing next to you, I'm literally going in my head, here's the information. Okay, now translate it myself and give it to them in a the language that they speak. And it might be two words. It might be a dissertation. It might be physiology. It might just be do this,
0: but that's really what you're trying to do is you're trying to play that role of internal translator. I think that's such a valuable thing for anyone out there who coaches anybody to understand. Were you, were you taught that or is that something that you just kind of figured out on your own over time? Man, I would say that I don't have a lot of talent in this world. Um, but that is one thing that I have
1: was a little bit more, talented with than, than some people. And I've certainly fostered and cultivated that over a long period of time, but just really trying to being honest with, when you communicate with people, when you give a talk, when you write something, if people are giving you blowback and understanding, then you have to accept responsibility that maybe you just didn't communicate that very well. So once I acknowledged that and took responsibility for that, then it was just a matter of saying, okay, well then what does make effective communication and just spending years, working on that and trying to synthesize information properly and eventually start to realize common threads and you're saying like look if i have to if i say this poorly i'm gonna have to say this multiple times or it's not going to work so it's actually in my best interest to find a way that makes it better for them and so it's a little bit of natural skill uh, just in terms of being a little bit perceptive having some empathy but it's, it's the actual skill is mostly cultivated
0: that's cool And how did you break into working with that level of an athlete A lot of people, I think, let me me kind of give you some structure for what I'm asking. There's a lot of great coaches out there who don't have a big Instagram following, who don't have anyone watching their YouTube stuff. And maybe they're trying, maybe they're trying to build it. They just, they're not the kind of person who expresses themselves well in that kind of an environment. How did, and I'm not suggesting that was you, I'm just suggesting that they're sitting there asking, how do I get an elite athlete to want to work with me? Yeah. So a
1: couple of things, actually, uh, I'll start off by saying, again, I do not take advice from me about how to grow a social media following or any shit like that. I don't have a clue. <laughs> I, I don't, don't, go buy some hackers program or whatever. And, right. Well, I don't think Matt Brown found you on Instagram. Uh, yeah, no, probably not. <laughs> um, but uh, like the, the answer to it really is a couple of things. Uh, I think writing is a very, very useful tool for that. Because it forces clarity of thought. And I've heard people say this on podcasts a thousand times and I could not agree with it more. Um, You really have to, or presenting, it's the same thing. So when you're presenting a formal presentation in a PowerPoint, things like that, um, especially long form, an hour, two hours, three hours, you really have to have clarity of thought. And you will start to realize when you give a presentation on a topic, you'll see like the, the lost places and you realize like, okay, there was a gap there. I didn't effectively sell that. Um, that is a, a phenomenal way to, to build that skill. Then when you do that and you start to realize, Oh, I have a very clear thought on this, then you can go ahead and put that out there and you realize like, it's pretty well vetted. You've been through it a bunch of times and it's very clear of what you're going. Um, I don't, in terms of my social media, I can answer that directly. One lesson I learned actually after probably the first year of having um, Instagram, because I fought Instagram and Twitter uh, for mm-hmm. a long time. I didn't want any part of them. Um, and you know, blood So finally convinced me to do it and told me why. But, um, one thing I realized is people see genuinely through calls for pity and attention. And also, uh, like complaining and whining, people don't give a shit about that stuff and they shouldn't. Um, I hate it when I'll stop following somebody. If I see like they're constantly doing these gripes for attentions, um, like you see this all the time, you know, like post a picture of, you know, so fortunate to be working with blah, blah, blah. And you're like, okay, that was a basically you posting saying, Hey, by the way, did you guys know that I know this famous person? Yeah. Like, no, no. And the fact that I remember this happened, I was working with the actor, Kevin James and, uh, we were, we were shooting a movie in Vegas and, and I had a picture with Kevin or whatever. And I basically made that post and I was like, every single one of my followers, I had probably like 2000 or something at the time, 5,000. I don't know. Uh, I'm like, everyone who's going to like this is going to get thousands of likes. And it was like 11. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, like, why didn't you just post something more authentic and honest? Being like, man, I can't believe it. Like, getting to work with celebrities, I never thought I'd be here. This is wild for a kid from Rochester, Washington. Or whatever the fuck. Like, hey, man, like, super jazzed. I got nerd out today. I got to meet a celebrity. Like, just be authentic and, and be real. Like, I think people really care a lot more. They care so much more about that um, than anything else. So be genuine. And my metric is is I don't care at all about what if my media, social media grows, like that's not my metric. My metric is okay. When I post something up there, it has to genuinely help people or something. I just find like generally really cool. Don't post something up there. Cause you're like, Oh, this is hot right now. Like people love to debate this. I got to get a post up about mm. keto. Cause it's going to people. I could do, do you know how much I mean social media followers I could have? If I just posted like fat loss hacks, keto things. And I just went Lane Norton style and just bash people. And went, you could get a $200,000 followers. Easy. Um, which is fine, like that's up to them. But for me, I'm like, I gotta find some shit that just is really interesting to me. And uh, man, like, I feel like it would make it would follow that mission that's on my website. It's like, okay, it, it excites people, it engages people, it inspires people. Like that's it. And if I think it's gonna do that, I don't. I'll post something if I think like, hey, this is gonna get 11 likes, but I think it's really fucking cool. Man, I fired up there. I don't be like, I'm not like, ah, oh, well, it's not between the golden hour of whatever six. <laughs> I don't know. Like I don't care. Like it goes up. And funny enough, man. Uh, I actually threw one up recently like that. I was just like, this is really cool. And I was like, like 11 people are gonna like this. It's not gonna matter. And I got something crazy, like 5,000 likes or something. And I was like, Oh shit. Like, what? This is weird. And then the ones I thought are going to blow up social media, get 280. I'm like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. Uh, So my, my bigger point is like, don't worry about any of that stuff. Just put, if you post stuff that is authentic, actually cool, actually inspirational, um, this, the, the social media will, will grow uh, or and unique like of course something that's not different um, it will grow if it needs to but the big fallacy there is is thinking that a uh, higher social media following is higher worth yeah well so, so uh, I'm sorry go I mean on. Joe I'll put it this way Joe Rogan started following me on Twitter when I had probably 400 followers and, right. and that's like whatever that whatever that means but my point is like it's not like people are gonna decide to follow you because you have a lot of followers or not Um, I get this question all the time, but I won't go into the whole answer. But, you know, the reason he started following me, the reason he reached out to me and wanted me to go on a show and all that stuff and the reason we've connected is just because of the things I was posting. Like I, someone, somehow I came across his radar. He looked at my page, looked at my profile and was like, Oh, that's cool shit. And I had four, whatever I had, it it didn't matter that I didn't have, I still don't have many Twitter followers, Uh, but I have a lot of famous people and and high profile people that, that follow me. And it has nothing to do with the fact that I have, to 50,000 Instagram
0: followers or whatever, it just has affected like, oh, you're posting cool shit. Right, but how, how, did, how did you, so the, I mean, that was, I think that's valuable information for anybody to know about social media, that if your metric is how many people are following you, then the value that you're delivering might not be where you want it to be. But yeah, because you, you would rather have 2,000 followers uh, that are
1: uh, important value to your community than 20,000 that don't care. Absolutely. It, 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 and then metrics. The money numbers show that. Advertising monitors show that. Like all that stuff is extremely clear that it doesn't matter.
0: We we have clients who don't follow us, which which oh, yeah. which, which to me is like how, that's how most people find us is our social media. How did you find us? Oh well, my friend told me that I should work with you.
1: Yeah, and that was oh, good I enough.
0: Tons, I have tons of celebrities and athletes that
1: I work with that don't follow me.
0: Right. So so how but tons. how how do you how did you Andy Galpin breakthrough from the guy who has this knowledge that's going to be valuable, who isn't even running a social media account, to the guy who's now working with UFC champions and, and all-timers? Man, it's the same story. Uh, it's the same story
1: as how I got in a position at the center here. But were you seeking uh, them out? Was it intentional? No. Fuck, fuck no. No, man. Like, uh, it's a lot of luck and just working really damn hard. Um, I mean, I could walk you through exactly how I got my first UFC person or the first anything else, but it would be the exact same story uh, information changed out. So what, what I mean is um, I'll give you one tangible example. When I was an undergrad uh, I was at a university that didn't do any sort of research. Uh, I didn't think sport performance was in university setting at all. It was all at health and walking and, you know, park your car further in the parking lot type of shit. I actually wasn't interested in the field at all because I'm like, dude, kinesiology sucks, it's boring, you know, whatever. I'm like, I do that. And and they're like, oh, physical therapy, like every kinesiology student wants to do. And I'm like, I'm not going to physical therapy, like three sets of 10 with a three pound dumbbell. This is stupid. I am not doing that shit either. (laughs) You know, because that was my experience at the time. Sure. It's dumb. Uh, But I remember one of the faculty members was like, hey, I want to set up a booth outside. And keep in mind, this is Oregon. So like, this is cold and rainy. Um, And he's like, I want to set up a booth outside where people walking by... I can get awareness about their health. I will check their blood pressure and we'll tell them about cholesterol, and glucose. I'm like, she said, "Does anyone want to do it?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'll do it for sure." And she's like, "Great. Are you interested in, um, you know, clinical well-being and wellness stuff?" And I was like, "Hell no. <laughs> like public health? Nope, not at all. What? Why do you want to do this?" I'm like, "I don't know. It seems like I can help people, right? It seems like you asked, needed help. Like, well, good experience, right? And of course, not altruistic. I'm like, I get an experience, good for my resume. Who knows, right? Whatever. So." And she's like, Do you know how to check blood pressure. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> Fantastic. So she shows me. I'm like, great. So I sit out there. Not a single person comes by. Nothing happens. I waste three or four hours. And I have to keep it in mind. I was playing college football. I was taking probably 16 to 18 units of you know chemistry and uh, you know, undergrad physics classes, things like that. I was working. I cleaned the dorm rooms. So I cleaned the bathrooms in the dorms for a living when I was in college, which is also pretty funny because here I'm like a big college football player and uh, you know, like any given Monday, you can catch me in Dylan hall, floor three, cleaning up the shit. Like that's what I did for four years, even as a senior, like that's what I was doing. Right. So I had a lot, I didn't have three or four hours to just wait. So I wasn't looking for things to do. So I wasted it a year or something goes by And that faculty, uh, reaches out and says, Hey, uh, cause we're about an hour Southwest of Portland said, Hey, somebody from Adidas called me. Adidas's headquarters is up in Portland, pretty close to Nike headquarters, actually. And uh, they're looking for somebody to come up and run the, the the gym up there. Are you interested? And I said, shit, yeah. And she's like, well, like, don't you want to know the hours, the pay? And I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> like I guess. But like I'm in, like whatever it is, right? And it's like they need someone to open the gym Monday through Friday or whatever it is, and it's a 5 a.m. open start. And I'm an hour and a half away in Portland, right? And so it means like I'm leaving my house at 3:10, and I learned from my dad, like I was telling you earlier, but like 15 minutes early is 30 minutes late. So I'm, you know, I'm leaving my house. It's just God awful numbers, two o'clock or something like that. But I've done that before, like working at the berry farms growing up, working for my dad. It's like, I'm like, all right, it sucks, but alright I'm gonna get it done and I'm minimum wage. And I basically, this is the predecessor to clinical wellness. So I'm up there and I'm like, I'm opening up the gym and uh, I get there 20, 25 minutes early most days because I do not want to get caught in traffic or I had an old crappy $600 car and my like, fuck, my car breaks down. I'm like I just cannot be late. So I get there and I'm like, well, I'll just start opening up the doors and turn the lights on. And all of a sudden I notice people are there 15 minutes early, or whatever. And there's this group of five or six people and they're there 15 minutes early. They start working out. I'm not supposed to be personal training them, like they're not paying me extra, but I basically start personal training them because there's nobody there. Well, one or two of the people end up being just basically like custodial staff members. I'm like, oh whatever, right? I don't know who they are. But the other three or four end up being on the executive board at Adidas. And they wanted to be done. Uh, you know, with their workouts showered at their office by 6.30 or whatever. So they were super pumped when I opened up the gym 15 minutes early so they could get their shit done. And then they're off to Germany or flying around the world. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I, I, mean, I was treating them, both, both those people, the janitors and the CEFO, equally. And the guy was just like, one of the guys was like, man, this is great. Um, we just started sponsoring this place in Arizona called Athletes Performance. And it's an exclusive place. That so this is the beginning of Athletes Performance, right? will you go down there uh learn some stuff for six months and then come back and i'm like yeah sure of course um and of course you know like when i left the guy was like look i know you're never coming back but you know just thanks a lot so basically he sent me down there and gave me this job down in uh athletes performance uh, training professional athletes nfl players major league baseball players so the first professional athlete i trained was down there in the nfl and uh, guys lots of guys first round we had like 15 first round draft picks that year maybe more yeah, Hall of that, famed, it's, it's now here. exos right yeah it's now exos mm-hmm. now they're all over the country but back then it was out performance and it was just in tempe arizona so that was my first exposure i mean then that, like the the floodgates kind of open after that but um i mean my i guess my answer to answer that question is the reason i got that break is because i sat out in the fucking cold taking blood pressure for three hours yeah and that one worked out, but I could also, I could tell you a hundred stories of me doing things like that that didn't amount to shit. And, and so the answer, like I said, man, it's the same. Like I just worked really fucking hard and I treated people well and I just try to do my best because like, well, first of all, they deserve that. Every soul deserves the same treatments because they're worth money or not worth money. Um, and I just did that.
0: and. If you take a chances like that 300 times, you're going to catch a break once. Well, I think that's the thing. I think that you recognize a lot of people will look at that situation and they look at the 99 that didn't work or they look at the five that didn't work because they were the first five that they did and they never move on to number six. Yeah. And, yeah. and and I think that that's, that's a good lesson is that don't expect anything from it. Maybe something happens, maybe something doesn't, but do it just to do it and then see where Man, it goes. Like
1: I'll give you an example. Most people have heard of Tim Ferriss by now. And I love Tim. Tim wrote a section for a book, like great guy. But I think that I don't think people in this stage of their life should listen to Tim Ferriss uh, because he's not talking to you. He's talking to people that are probably more in their 30s, 40s, 50s that are generally well established and they're trying to be excellent, things like that. Um, Again, this is no criticism of Tim. But the things like, well, learn to say no, blah, blah blah, that is terrible advice for somebody when they're 18, 19, 20, 25. Like mm-hmm. yes to fucking everything is the advice. Yes to everything. And it doesn't matter. Don't triage your time. And don't, or like, no, you respond back immediately as fast as you can. And you say yes to everything and you don't worry about the money and you do not like every, yes to every single opportunity. And if that means you drive an hour and a half each way for a minute, I, I was probably losing money on that Adidas job. Now, Cause I was getting minimum wage or something like that. Plus my gas, I was probably losing money. Like the time, it doesn't matter. My kids do this shit all the time. drives me nuts. Like, wow, well, I didn't take that internship at UCLA. Why? Because out of the traffic up there is terrible. Like, are you stupid? Are you st- how stupid are you? Like, get your ass up there. This is what well, this is the break that every kid in the Midwest would dream for.
0: Right. Would um, move here for.
1: Yeah, and have like I have a girl, Lauren, is moving from Florida to work in my lab this summer for free. She's going to be sleeping on the floor basically of somebody's apartment for three months. I'm like, and but then the kids that are that live, you know, 40 minutes away are like, I don't know the traffic that way is pretty bad. And uh, like, I really would love to get $15 an hour for this. And I'm like, well, fuck yourself. Like you're done, get out of here. (laughs) So yeah, man, like at this stage, the answer is yes to every single opportunity. Um, And I've learned this lesson even more out here in California because of the people that I've interacted with. You know, there's people like Tim are new rich, right? Like you'd see Tim walking around and you'd be like, he isn't looking special. You wouldn't realize this dude's worth a billion dollars. That happens constantly up here. So when you're in this area, especially, man, you gotta treat everybody the same because the billionaires dress like hobos sometimes, and they buy cheap beer or, or whatever. Like they drive a crappy car and they have nice clothes. So I mean, you, if you want to be super cynical about it, dude, just treat everybody the same because you just you literally don't know that person you're serving gas to, or that you're you know serving their their lunch to that that asked you if they get charged extra for guacamole. Like that person still might be worth. Millions, uh, So, I mean, it's a shitty way to look at it, but it's also true. If you want to think of it that directly, it's true, man. Just, and the same could be said, I've been in Montana hunting and been in diners with nothing that's in that millionaires. And you're like, what the, f-? like what? And they just, they, they love to be out there or they're on vacation for a couple of months and just getting away. Like you just never know. So you want the big break. My answer to that question is it's, you just have to outwork people, man, and just do really nice things to people, really treat people really well, and keep working. That's how you're going to catch your break. And I caught one a little early, but I know people that have caught bigger ones even faster than me. Uh, guys that are in the NBA strength coaches a year after graduating. Cause I knew somebody like you just graduated a year later. You head NBA strength
0: fishing coach. You knew the right person. Well, I mean like but getting it and keeping it are not the same thing. You yeah. Know, so, so, so you got your first break. You go down to athletes performance. Now Exos. So you work with some NFL players. If you sucked, it doesn't matter.
1: Well, yeah. Well, I mean at that point, like I did suck, of course. Right. But, I had some natural talents, but it's stuck, but it's also like try to keep getting better. Right. So if yes. I was like, yeah, I made it here. I am. Right. Uh, I mean, you, you, it's funny the way you said it earlier. Like I still react to really that. Cause I'm like, I haven't made shit yet. Like I'm, I still don't feel like I've done anything for the most part. I'm like, I'm not even close to there. Like I'm finally getting up to this and this thing. And I'm like, I'm almost ready for my big break now. Whereas it's like, dude, you weren't Joe Rogan. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, yeah, man, like, I'm, like maybe soon I'll get on like this and maybe soon like I'll do this. Like, all right. Um, so I still don't feel like I'm there,
0: but that's a good thing. I don't think I ever want to lose that. Well, now you've been on the Active like podcast. Well, well there, there you
1: Logan.
0: go, I'm there, man. <laughs> so Update
1: my Twitter profile. That's
0: it. Put that in there. So, uh, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to keep you for too long, but I do want to get to some some of your communication stuff that we talked about earlier. And the the five minute physiology videos I think are brilliant. And for people who don't know, uh, Andy puts out videos that basically provide analogy for high-level topics that that are very difficult to learn if you're learning them in the scientific realm on your own. But when you do things the way that you're doing them in these videos, it breaks them down to be so simple. And somebody doesn't have to know what the chemical formula of creatine is to understand what it does. And that's really what they're looking for is utility at at, at the level that they're browsing that website or that, you know, that video. So can you talk about kind of how you came up with that idea and what made you decide to do these and continue to do them?
1: Uh, so the, it's the same thing I talked about earlier where I'm, I'm not very smart. <laughs> so honestly, the reason I did it was for my own self for the most part and going like, I'm trying to get these things wrapped in my head. I'm not very smart like that. And so I would, I, this is how my brain has to work to get something out. And also, you know, when I started teaching and you're going through this and you start to figure out the things that are effective in most people's brains and things that aren't, and for me, man, uh, uh, by nature, my brain works. I'm a storyteller. People connect with stories. People remember stories. People understand stories. And so if you can make something into a story, it's just generally more entertaining. It's more entertaining for me. I like telling stories. Obviously, like if you're still alive at this point in the cat podcast, you know, like I like to tell stories. You're That's good at I it. That's what I do. <laughs> you're <laughs> very you good at it. it. But I just thought like, well, why, this game information? why not? just this give information? information? i will just going to tell a bunch of stories and uh, I'll just turn the information into a story. And uh, it's, it's more entertaining for me when you got to do the same lecture over and over and over again. And uh, people like it. And they're like, oh, cool. I never thought of it that way. And you're like, okay. And so most of the things that I teach like that, I've had to come up with those analogies. or I've done that. It's just, just thinking, man. And this is what happens when you get the fuck away from technology for a little bit. And you stop having input. And you're out for a walk with your dogs or something. And just ideas just start blasting you in the head. Or you're sitting in an ice tub. And just like shit comes to your head or you're deep into a training session and you're just like, well, why is that? Why is that? And you you just start questioning, well, why is that? Well, how can I, how can I communicate that? Like, well, what's that? Why is that really want? What's the connection here? And you just keep searching and distilling that down into the most nature, the most fundamental nature of it. And then you go, Oh, okay. Like really this is the same as boom, boom, boom. And the the crazy part is the reason why a lot of my analogies and stuff work very well in those classes is because they're, it's, it's actually true. It's just, once I realized the connection with the natural world and the type of stuff we were trying to teach in this exercise physiology, and you realize like, well, what the hell is, why does using a newspaper as an analogy for carbohydrate work so well, you start to realize like, well, they're both made of carbon. And then like, okay, well, the benefit of burning carbohydrate for fuel is the same thing as burning a newspaper for fuel because they're actually literally the same damn thing. And then, oh my God, the benefit of burning fat as a fuel and the consequences of it. It's the same as wearing a wood. Why? Because paper's made out of wood. Oh, but it's denser and there's a lot more of it. And you're like, holy shit! Like, I wish I could say that that was me coming up with it, but that was me just like nature had already come up with that. It's right fucking there. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's the same thing. Like, when you started like you know the analogy of a, of a potato and starch to muscle glycogen. Like, that's not an analogy. Like, that is the just what it is in nature. Like, mm-hmm. it, it already is there, and I'm like, I'm <laughs> not an, like, oh shit, like. There it is. Like we're just the weird ones where we just call it different when it's in a human versus, you know, if it's in a human, we call it glycogen. And if it's in a potato, we call it starch. It's the same shit though. Like literally like, oh, so I'm going to just, yeah. Like seeing those connections and going like, you know, if I just tell me about that, I think it demystifies it. Um, the other thing I think of, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier too, is a lot of people, I did the same thing. I still do it early in their career, want to make sure that everyone knows how much they know. And that's a real communication accident. Um, if you can answer the question by saying, don't eat a potato, that's all you maybe need to say. You don't have to then launch into an explanation of uh, you know, different chemical bonds and allosteric condition, things like, it doesn't really matter, but you're so excited to use all this information. You just spent five years and $100,000 college education on, but people don't necessarily care. There's a fantastic Einstein quote that I think that you could look up about Uh, You know, reducing things, but not without giving a single datum of information out. And I'm not going to tell you the whole quote because you should learn to look things up on your own. But you get the basic idea where it's like you want to distill these things down to the simplest way possible without sacrificing a single important piece of information. And when you do that, people actually think you're smarter than you actually are. As opposed to the other way when you say a lot of words and you give them explanations and it's like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, but that wasn't really, and I won't, I won't say her name, but there's like a, a person who's pretty famous in this space with nutrition and health, but that's constantly what she does. And people think she's just ridiculously smart. And I'm like, she didn't even answer the question. She didn't even remotely answer the question, just spouted off a whole bunch of molecular biology, which is cool. Like, I like that shit. So my lab does, but I'm like, that didn't help anybody. Mm. It's convincing because you sound really smart, but. Like, no one can turn around and recite that now. No one goes, oh, okay, yeah, that's why you drink eat fish oil.
0: Yeah, I, I relate to that. I mean, that, that's our entire company was built on simplicity. You know, yeah. I have a disc injury at these levels, and, and, and that means that this nerve, and I'm like, no, 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 no. What are you bad at? Go yeah, to, yeah, yeah. Let, Let's work on that. You know, because yeah. 17 people you know have the same disc injuries, and they don't even know about it. Yeah, yeah. So let's, I love, um, I
1: just had Quinn Hannock up in my class. Uh, I don't know if you know Quinn or not. I but know Quinn. He, He's fantastic. He's so good. And he had just a wonderful thing up there when he, when he sort of talked about um, if, you know, if you took uh, five times the prescription dosage of a, of a pain medicine and, you know, you went to kidney failure, whatever, like the obvious answer would be stop taking five times the recommended dosage. Mm-hmm. But yet when your back hurts from squatting because you're doing five times the load and volume that you're doing, why is the answer stop squatting? Now, the answer is just like, just come back down to the recommended dose.
0: hmm
1: like, I, I love that, and it's like, yeah, like it's just thinking more logically and uh and putting things in the proper prescription and putting things down and you're like okay, I didn't have to go here, and the same thing with the explanation and communication, like yeah, you got lost yeah, because that's because you gave me five times the information I needed to know, right, just tell me what I needed to know. It's actually not that confusing
0: mm-hmm. no it's it's cool I, I it's refreshing, I really enjoy your content because of what i'm able to get from it on that level because i'm not a nutrition expert but i can learn a lot by watching videos of stuff that i understand and that by the way you said earlier people should learn to look things up i was intentional about not making this podcast about nutrition you know Hmm. we, we could have had a conversation in depth about you know what are the foods that i shouldn't eat if i want nice pecs sure you know but i feel like people can go through your content and they can find it they can listen to one of dozens of podcasts that you've been on when people talked about that with you. Mm -hmm. I think it was important for people to be able to hear more about who you are and how you establish the credibility that you have and the success that you've been able to garner so that they can start to consider that for themselves.
1: Yeah, man, that's good. Like I was actually in New York uh, this weekend and uh, some came up about one of my videos and I've got like a two and a half hour video on the details of muscle fiber types and how they came up with the names and why there's communication, all that stuff. And my friend actually it was Brad Schoenfeld, who you may know. Uh, Brad leaned over to me. He's like, sorry, to break it to you, dude, but no one's watching a two and a half hour muscle video, muscle physiology video on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I-, I think you're missing the point, Brad. Like, I don't give a shit. I think <laughs> two or three people might want to see that. And when they stumble upon that, they're gonna be like, this was fucking awesome that's it. I'm not making, like, if I was trying to make things for mass appeal, like, you know, I would, I would just go take over Brett Contreras's account and just picture post pictures of chicks with giant, awesome asses. Yep. Like, like I'm not trying to get as many people, not, of course I would love for everyone in the world to watch my video, but my point is like, I make those things so that the two or three people that like, Oh my God, I love this thing. Like got everything they wanted. Like I want to put that information out there for the people that want it. But I realize most people don't want to do it. So the rest of them I'm just going to go, all right, here's the just, here's the boom um, of it here. So I make those 55 minute physiology videos for the, for the three, 13 people that really do love that want to know the details of the physiology of fat loss. Like, all right, all 12 of you, here's a three hour video, like all 38,000 of you that just want the five minute version, okay, here's a five minute version, but you're going to miss a lot, but that's cool too. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, my approach is the five minute physiology, physiology is are what the answer is. The 25 minute videos are what the answer is and why it's, or how it's working and then the 55 minute videos are what, what's the answers, how's it working. And then all of the, the detail um, behind that and all the extra things to think about in the other context and the situations where it's not true. Uh, Cause that's probably more interesting to me than not. So um, that's what those sort of videos are. And uh, I don't make them very often because of time constraints and all those things, but uh, I'm going to try to basically get all my courses up there in the next year and just have every video and everything I've ever talked about in any of my classes
0: up there for free. I think it's awesome. I mean, it's yeah. I, I, there's nothing. I don't need another word to describe it. It's very cool. I I've learned a lot from watching them. I've learned a lot from following your account, and I've learned a lot by having this conversation with you. And I think you should be. I want to commend you on this podcast. Just by forget about the fact that you're not looking to make yourself somebody who's wildly profitable through the information that you think people need to have. I think that um, it's impressive how how much you live that as opposed to just saying that, you know, things like creating a 55 minute YouTube video that, you know, is going to be ingested by a very small population of people is a demonstration that you you really aren't looking to turn those people into dollar bills. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, keep in mind too. I want to be
1: clear. I'm not at all against anyone that does monetize. Mon- I didn't. Monetize, I didn't take it. That yeah, yeah. Like, no. I, I think there's a very important role for that. In fact, uh, there's a strong argument for doing that for that person's benefit. Um, the, you know, you, the the
0: the, the you, yeah. The people who are going. I, I don't mean totally. to cut you off, but I know what you mean. The people who are going to say, "Okay, I'm going to pay attention to this because I paid for it," uh-huh. and and you know, it, and they get more out of it. Yeah. Well, to, to, yep. to give you some insight into our company, we have programs that cost someone $39 a month or they can buy the year for 300 And then we have one-on-one where you're really getting physical and emotional support for 199 yep. a month. And my ambition is that I'd like to say in 18 months, I don't know if that's realistic or not, but the $39 option goes away and it becomes free. Yep. You know, because yeah. it's, it's a great service. I'm not, there's no doubt it's a great service, but... I want people to be able to get access to that. And yeah, there's yeah. some people who are like, even for 39 bucks a month, they won't do it.
1: Yeah, no, 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 for sure. Like I get it, man. And um, I'm, I, could, I could follow you up there. There is a very strong argument to make for, it helps more people probably if you monetize, mm-hmm. especially if I made more money than I could, um, or if I made any money, I could hire people that would help me get these things out a lot faster. It'd be a lot nicer. Um, therefore, the message would get out there. So I see that argument and it's probably right. It's not worth it to me internally though. Uh, because I, like, I just don't like that stress. I don't like dealing with it. I don't want to deal with, Oh yeah. But then this person's credit card didn't come like, which is it's probably making it out some more difficult than it actually is. I don't know, but I I don't really want, like to me, like I have a full-time job. I'm doing this already. I'm going to throw those videos up as I can, help some people. Cool. And you know, who knows, maybe somebody will show up one day and say, Hey, here's this huge platform. Let's partner together. You show up, shoot the videos behind everything. I'll say, okay, like, great.
0: Well, it comes, um, it comes down to the energy that you're willing to spend on something.
1: Yeah. it's—I just—and I just And I just don't want to at this point, man. Like you can look at my salary. I don't make very much money, but like, whatever, man, like, like I said, I'm a, I, I got a hard time crying poor mouth at this point in my life. Like, right. Like, well, I got, I guess also, you're pretty good. The,
0: the private coaching clients aren't free. Are they? Oh God, no. Right.
1: No, no. But you know, like, let's be real. You're working with a UFC fighter. Um, who's making $8,000 a fight and they fight twice a year. Right. People think, people think those guys are rolling in because they're on TV. I know. How right? much you think I'm making off of that, buddy? Right. Come on now. Like, so yeah. Uh, there's some of that, but like, I'm not, I'm not making $10,000 a month off these people. No, no.
0: I, I, I again, I, I want to be really clear. I'm not looking into your bank account. You no, know, it's,
1: I'm not, I'm not offended by that. I just want people to like get the right idea here. that like, you know, don't, don't think you're going to go work with professional athletes and, to make a hundred grand a year per client. Well, that's it. most that of them, happen. What, what,
0: what my experience has been, and maybe it's just because of the type of professional athlete who I work with, but mo- most of them either expect or want it on the arm so that they can provide you the publicity to get other people to do it. Or oh, yeah, they're not it. making as much money as people think that they're making. And they legitimately can't afford to pay you what your going rate is. Oh no, dude. Uh, <laughs> uh I mean, I've, I have a few people that pay my actual
1: rate. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the vast majority are I mean, especially earlier in my life, like not even remotely close. Uh, I actually generally, because I have a full-time job, I don't have to work with athletes ever. It's not a part of my job ever. It actually only takes away from my job. So when I do, and I say no 90 plus percent of the time, trust me, I get an email every, every single day from somebody who wants to work every single day. Uh, and I, I say no, to, I probably say yes once a month or something. Um, like actually Brad Schoenfeld and I were just talking about the same thing too. Cause he's in the same boat and he's like, people have offered me a thousand dollars for a call. I'm like, no, like, I just, I don't want to, to deal with this stuff. Uh, but I will take, I generally take them for other for other rationale. Um, you know, something, and I don't want to say anything because it, it it's these people's personal business, but something about their story. I'm like, Hmm, that's really cool. Or I get really excited. Or I'm like, shit, I don't know how I'm going to deal with that. Like, that's a really cool thing. But you'll, you'll see, like, trust me, anyone that's listening that's ever emailed me, I guarantee you've probably gotten an email back that said, Hey, I see my friend, Dan Garner, or, uh, like <laughs> go to, go check out a D I send so many people to a D it's ridiculous or go to Jenny Roberts, like Valkyrie. I'm like, I'm always, always sending people there. Cause I'm like, you know, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll take them on occasionally, but remember, man, when I take on a client at this point in my life, uh, that, that hour a week is an hour a week away from my family. Mm-hmm. Cause I got a full-time job. Yep. You know, so, um, no, that it's not a significant amount, part of my income at all. Yeah. I am close.
0: Well, Andy, I, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your experiences, your stories. I, I really enjoyed the way that you describe things. Where can people go to get more information from you?
1: So you can check out the website, andygalpin.com. Um, you'll see it's, it's a classic. I Squarespace, I learned to make it over a couple hours myself, so it ain't the the prettiest thing you ever did, but the videos are up there. They're on YouTube. You can subscribe on YouTube as well or on on the website. Um, There is a Patreon account attached to that. Uh, If you got a buck or two to contribute, cool. If not, like I said, whatever. Um, All that money, 100% of that money, the Patreon account goes to me paying people to help me get those videos up because I got actually a bunch of them recorded on my computer. I just don't have the time to put them up and manage them. Um, So I do that, but... Other than that, yeah, uh, you know, my social media is pretty easy to find if you search for Andy Galpin. Like it'll pop up, so
0: it's pretty easy to find. I think it's Doctor Andy Galpin, right? Your Instagram?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: You earned it. <laughs> I honestly, I wish I could take it down, but oh well, too late now. <laughs> well, I appreciate the time today, and I thoroughly enjoyed this. Thanks for coming on, Andy. My pleasure, man. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Active Life podcast. Remember, guys, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating on iTunes. Leave us a review, a comment, whatever you can do to help us out. We really appreciate it.